We'll get started in just one minute. All right, welcome everyone. Oh, really quick. I think just let's just have it open. Yeah, because I don't know where it is, and I don't know how to tell them to do it. Well, if you find it, yeah. All right, so welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Amy Delicio, and I will be presenting with my colleague, Shannon, and we're going to be talking about um, reimagining nutrition education and collaboration to build healthier communities. Um, it's a dialogue now session, so we will be like asking questions with the audience and kind of, you know, looking at some things. So um, one, we'll just give a brief overview. We're both from the Dairy Council of California, so I'll provide a brief overview of who we are and what we do. Um, we'll start providing some information around recognizing some shifting patterns in nutrition education development and assessment, some of the things that we've been looking at over the past um, year or so or six months, um, and some of the assessments we've conducted really want to talk about ways that we can um, enhance digital nutrition education um, and the measures um, and hear from you all if you've come up with some good um, ideas um, and developing collaborative ideas to support best practices and digital digital forward education um, of course COVID excel, kind of excelled us doing more digital forward education but I think there's still things that we can do better at and we'd love to hear from the audience as well um, about what you all are doing, share some of the things we're doing, and always looking for ways to collaborate with other organizations. Um, so we have a vision and a cause about us. So we do, um, together with others, advance milk and dairy's unique and accessible contribution to healthy, sustainable eating patterns. But our, our cause is really to elevate the health of children in communities in California by promoting lifelong healthy eating patterns. Um, this year going in, we just started our new kind of fiscal year, and we have four um, key strategies and looking at audiences, core audiences, but um, partnerships and collaborations are, are a huge way that we get our work done and kind of down the middle of our, you'll see kind of the different um, organizations that we typically partner with. So of course we partner with the dairy community. We are, um, a, our program is uh, coded in California state law. We are overseen by the California Department, Food and Agricultural Department, but we also work closely with um, dairy farmers and dairy processors across our state, as well as some of the other um, things that they do. Schools have been a big focus for a long time. We also partner with a lot of professional associations, both um, those that work with young dietitians, um, physicians, pediatricians, and food service professionals. Of course, we have the gov government and community programs like SNAPED and others that are implemented, as well as community-based organizations, healthcare centers, 
Um, in academia, we do partner with academic institutions and fund research or look at research that they're doing to help identify how we can utilize that. Um, and then dairy ag literacy is another component where we have our um, longstanding mobile dairy classroom that goes to the schools and teaches students farm to fork and healthy eating, education advocacy across the spectrum. And a big focus within us is a thriving organization, so we also wanna focus in internally on supporting our staff. You can see our values out there, but they really align with a lot of the things you're probably doing, looking at advancing nutrition security um, health, within healthy communities, supporting equitable access to nutrition, education, and healthy foods, um, believing milk and dairy foods are essential in our sustainable food systems based on their nutritional context, and also believing collaboration is vital to maximizing collective impact. So we really look to look for partners to collaborate with and co-create resources with, and you'll hear about some of those today as well. Um, Shannon. Yeah. Well, happy Saturday. Is everybody feeling a little tired? <laughs> time zone change, all of these different things. So thank you very much for showing up today as we talk about nutrition ed. I would like to get a pulse for who's in the room today. How many are involved in SNAP ed? How many are doing um, any type of work in the school environment? How many in food banks or food access? Awesome. And how about community in general? general community, healthcare, and a few healthcare. Well, all of those areas is where we have been operating in as an organization, but we only do that through collaboration and co-creation. And one of the things that we most recently launched is our Let's Eat Healthy initiative. And does anybody have their app open for today's, for the actual conference where you can do poll questions? We're gonna talk about digital and digital competency, and this is where I'm not feeling very competent right now. And that's where we put in poll questions so that we can collaborate together today and see each other's answers. So my first question is, can you see our first question? Oh, so I did activate it. So if you can go ahead and answer the first question, that would be great. And then we'll go through and activate the other ones. So the first question is, are you activating an initiative or have you? How many are, are activating an initiative of some sort? Okay, SNAP-Ed is an initiative, right? <laughs> so I'm going to just share what we've been doing. We have an initiative to really take... Um, instead of looking at how can we be transactional in nutrition education, but really transformational through co-creation and collaboration. And so back in 2018, we really were looking at the research, we did a landscape analysis, really to understand the problems that were happening um, and what we as Dairy Council through our partnerships could do. We wanted to really define our why, and you'll notice that when Amy was sharing about Dairy Council's vision and cause, you didn't hear vision and mission. We really can do um, have been working and paying attention to Simon Sinek and really talking about that it's not about your mission, it's about why you exist and who you're there to serve. So we're really about being cause-based because our job is to be transformational. And so we really defined our why and identified our purpose as an organization. And then in 2019, we started to work with our marketing team and an outside company to build a brand, and that's where you can see our Let's Eat Healthy brand there, to really go through and look at what does it really represent, because we all know that visual representation is so important. And then we built our website. So if you go to our healthyeating.org website, it's where you can access all the information from today. And then we really started to align our resources to the Let's Eat Healthy brand, because we want it to look like one cohesive joint co-creation and collaboration. We collaborate with so many that it makes it easy to, to, for us to initiate um, at the beginning, but it's messy, right? All the work that we're doing, it's not a linear line. There's one day it's working and the next day we have COVID and everything that we had going is, is up in the air and we have to transform ourselves. So in 2020, we were gonna launch the initiative and then COVID hit and so we waited until June and we did launch it. We also had a convening already planned in person 
person, we transitioned to online, and the convening brought cross-sector state leaders, um, CBOs, we brought in nonprofits and brought them all together and said, okay, what does this Let's Eat Healthy mean to you and what does that look like for our cause? And so this group helped us define clear objectives, define the values, develop this plan, and you can find that um, in our um, framework that's on our website as well. So we're building, we've built a team. We actually reorganized our whole org structure to be able to support the initiative and then bringing in and securing resources, funding, and taking action. We're in the growth phase. We'll always be in the build phase and always in the growth phase. Um, we do have funding, champions, leadership awards, advisories, and measures. And so this is what the framework looks like. This is the three pillars, nutrition security, nutrition education, and collaboration is the framework. We have um, awards that have gone out over the past three years under Let's Eat Healthy Leadership Awards. This year's awards included school districts, school wellness coordinator leads, leads as well as um, community-based organizations and um, healthcare. And all of these leaders have been doing phenomenal things that align back to the overall initiative. A continuum of collaboration, this is an example. After we started our Let's Eat Healthy and we did our Well-Nourished Brighter Futures convening, we brought the University of um, Irvine um, medical doctor, um, Candace Taylor Lucas, who is a pediatrician. After the collabor um, collaboration meeting was over, um, she said, we have funding for community intervention work. Would you partner with us on that? And so we partnered and did an assessment on the first thousand days, brought in a researcher from UCI as well as others, and that helped launch us into really supporting that first thousand days work. How many of you are intentionally working in that first thousand days? So preconception to the first two years and the importance that nutrition plays in that is so important, especially that preconception. For those of us that are working in schools and know that high school girls are the ones that underconsume the foods that are needed to nourish their bodies for their future children. And so it's such an important time, that preconception phase. And so that assessment really looked at what is needed from the lived experience as well as what's needed for professionals that are um, advising and working on um, nutrition education for that first thousand days. And then that led to another project where our um, program manager went out to the um, National Association for County and um, City Health Officials and participated in a first thousand days work group and now we're working on an NIH grant with them to create MyPlate resources for black, Caribbean, and Latin um, descents. So we have those resources that will be ethnically diverse, culturally relevant. They're in process and they'll be available through the CDC website. So those are just things that this initiative that we're finding the great value in. So as all of you know, partnerships is what makes the dream work for all of us. This is our continuum. We have 12, over 12,000 educators that we work with in California alone. And of that, we have 5,000 plus that we do professional development. We have 600 of them that have signed up for our Let's Eat Healthy initiative to actually be advocating for it. And then 51 collaborations and co-creations. Measures. Do you all struggle with how you can make sure that your measures are clean, accurate? Yes, absolutely. And so we do have, and we're going to share some of the things that we do that you may not be doing digitally that could help further your efforts. Um, and we have over 4.1 million. We actually had 4.7 million um, educational engagements this year. And how do we track that? We're going to share a little bit. So I already asked about what initiatives, and so at this time, I'm going to um, have Amy come back and share about the shifting patterns. Yeah, thank you. So also the other thing that we look at as we're um, prioritizing, you know, what are we gonna do next? We really start to, every year, we do a trends process where we really look at what are some of the shifting patterns in nutrition education, assessment, the environment. So, for example, and you all may be seeing some of this if you're tracking um, environments and demographics, right? So we've been looking at that. As you can see, this is our California school 
enrollment by ethnicity. So right now you can see about 56% of all students enrolled in California identify as Hispanic or Latino. So that, that's not only significant um, because there's a shift, so we also now have to not also be looking at how can we reach be inclusive and equitable, um, ensure that we're using cultural approaches, maybe making sure, you know, in California we have universal meals, making sure that we're culturally tailoring some of those meal programs in order to meet this diverse population. So it's really important to kind of understand who we're serving, our demographics, um, and looking at how we can together build a, you know, equitable food system that meets the needs of the audience that we're seeing. Um, so also trends that we're seeing that are shaping our environment, as I mentioned, we kind of do a process about every six months that we really look over a lot of the popular literature, a lot of what's coming out, what's also coming out in um, some of the science to say what's trending right now in the environment and what, what do we think is gonna to continue to trend and come up and how can we partner with others to do this. So for example, and I think there's been several maybe posters, there's gonna be an ACCP session tonight about food as medicine, but food as medicine is increasingly growing and being viewed as a solution to improving health. So this is not only being seen in maybe public health programs and healthcare exploring this, also in the popular literature, people, consumers in general are more and more looking for functional benefits from food. So this is an opportunity for us to kind of, all of us as nutrition educators to find ways to incorporate that, not only through the community-based programs that are looking at food as medicine, but also looking at ways that we can um, position our healthy eating patterns like the My Plate and those um, as a way to be functional and prevent disease, because more and more people are looking at ways to engage and stay healthy, and it's more important than ever to be having reliable information coming out, right? A lot of people and consumers nowadays get their information from the internet and um, social media, and that's not always accurate, right? There's a lot of different messaging out there, so we gotta continue to look at ways that we can really um, ensure that the accurate nutrition messages are out there and how we can um, support food as medicine in both programs and functionality. The second trend that, um, and Shannon kind of alluded to this, is we're really looking at more and more, especially globally, there's a high focus on pregnancy and early childhood. Um, that's when you can get the best start at life. If you really look at the research, that's um, a, a good start at the beginning of life when that zero to two stage really sets a lot of the stage for lifelong health. Um, and achievement and development. So it's really a critical time period when they're in utero in the first two years of life. Um, so there are recommendations, and that is the only age group, right, within the um, DGA. That's a special age group, zero to two. They have different guidelines. So we need to be getting those messages out. Um, as Shannon had shared when we did that needs assessment, we found that both healthcare professionals and parents needed different information. So healthcare professionals needed access to culturally relevant information for this group as well as um, short, quick, accurate messaging. Again, so everyone is always looking for this. And parents wanted the same thing, messages that um, were easy to understand, someone they could talk to as well. So we're looking at that. Then we're also looking at older adulthood. Um, the, world, the world population in most places is aging, specifically in the US and California. So people are living longer. Um, that's in about five years. They're going to be about a third of the population, 50 and over. And they are also looking at how can we age healthier? How can we use nutrition or diet as a support for that? Um, so you can kind of look at, in the net, by 2030, how the senior population will double. So that's an old, older adult stage is a key life stage. I know California specifically has a... Um, aging plan within and food and food security is part of that. So also we can look as nutrition educators how we can support this diverse population, how we can continue to help prevent and use food and nutrition education as a way to treat um, chronic disease, healthy aging, vitality, and it creates important opportunities for healthy eating patterns for all. And then we have another question, so if you have your app opened. What new approaches are you seeing for nutrition education in schools and community? Are you using new approaches to reach specific audiences? Are you tailoring your messages? Um, are you using digital messages? Are you using different messengers? I don't know, what is it open-ended on the app? <laughs> There's, we could not, the poll does not <laughs> yes. allow you to have open-ended yes. and our um, data analyst and um, 
evaluation person changed it to what limitations are you experiencing? Okay, Steve. So we had six people respond to the last question, so if we can get a better response this time, that'd be good. <laughs> so what limitations are you experiencing to do nutrition ed in schools and community? And it's a drop-down selection menu. And then I'll share. Yeah. Results. Time constraints, number one. Insufficient resources, limited focus on practical skills. So we're all very familiar with behavior change theory and as nutrition educators, we invest a lot of time into making sure that the work that we're doing does align to a theory or multiple theories. And so social cognitive theory, um, the social ecological model is very much SNAP-ed invested in, in that model as well as theory of planned behavior. The, th the last one here came out in 2007 with BJ Fogg's behavior model that came out of Stanford University and I'm gonna just talk a little bit about, first, the social ecological model. Um, as, as the work that we do, we really work on equipping professionals, whether that's a classroom teacher or a health professional or a community engagement specialist, to be able to do nutrition education that we create resources using the behavior change theories for that individual education. And then we have strategies and approaches and our initiative, the Let's Eat Healthy, is really geared to activate that individual plus PSE model. Um, so the social ecological model is being addressed um, by um, communities that have the lived experience and really want to make sure that they're being um, responsive to the needs of that community. How many of you are familiar with BJ Fogg? Oh, you need to invest some time in BJ Fogg. He is a very relatable behavior change expert, and he has his own model that he created that's really talking about that individual behavior change. How many of you have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit? How many of you have some form, okay? Um, how many of you are doing um, Wordle? How about Duolingo? Okay, so I'm currently getting ready to go to Italy, and in preparation for that, I have downloaded the app Duolingo. So on BJ Fogg's model, I'm highly motivated, right? And um, it's hard to learn another language when you don't have resources at hand. Putting an app on my phone that I can access, would you say that that makes it easier to do? Most definitely. But here's the trick, and this is the thing. You need to prompt people to do it. People need to be prompted on a regular basis. That's why Wordle and Duolingo and all these other prompt apps work so well is because it's a frequent reminder that you have an action to take towards your behavior change goal. And so I have Duolingo and it prompts me at least three times a day to don't forget to keep your streak going. They've also gamified it because gamification is really important too. So this is for that individual behavior change, but we have to embed this in the work that we do. So whether you're doing text messaging or build an app, how is it keeping it front of mind for those who are highly motivated? You've made it easier to do, but now we need to keep them in the know that they're either doing it successfully and now they have something that keeps them motivated or that they are being prompted. Those triggers is what he calls them. I'm gonna transition just a little bit into a study that we just completed. We hired um, Shear Consulting, Rachel Shear. She's a PhD from UC Davis that is now off consulting on her own. She's a professor at San Francisco State University and has worked in the school environment. And we hired her and her team to come in and do a school situational analysis for us. We looked at the fact that schools with COVID has been the nutrition ed programs that were really thriving before that were decimated with COVID and they're rebuilding, just like all of us are rebuilding right now. Would you agree? And so we said, okay, the environment has changed. Dollars has changed. Staffing has changed. Teacher priorities have changed. What can we do to still be in that school environment? So we hired them to look at food, literacy, and nutrition education, healthy school meals, not on healthy school meals in regards to like how can we 
have scratch cooking and things like that, but what is the overall arching environment around healthy school meals and then school-wide culture of health? We actually asked them to do what's called a pestle model. This is a business approach to look at the landscape prior to launching a product or a service. We're launching both. Our Let's Seats Healthy initiative is both of those. And we want to make sure as we reinvent our curriculum for schools or for healthcare providers, or even looking at, we're seeing that even though we developed curriculum for schools, healthcare providers and community-based organizations are using them. So how can we make sure we're being responsive? And then we did, that was phase one, was to really do a literature review and look at what's out there to help guide our decision making. And then we did phase two where we did key informant interviews to really dig into some of the domains and the high-level things that were coming out of that. So what did we find? Food literacy and health literacy are still struggling in the school environment. Who's surprised by that? I don't think any of you. Social-emotional learning is a priority for schools, especially as we're looking at emotional health, um, mental well-being of our students, and as all of us know, nutrition and mental well-being are closely linked. And so this is an opportunity. However, what's being designed at the state and the district level is not necessarily implemented at the local teacher level. Cultural competency and equitable programming is definitely a priority, and um, I know it's a priority for everybody in this room. Farm to school, definitely beyond procurement. We've heard about farm to school. We know where it's headed. It has um, um, all of the cultural responsiveness, equitability, and all of the different areas. Um, collaboration to empower others, that educators in the classroom really need us helping them to teach their students. And that has been found for over 30 years in the research that I've been doing on school nutrition education. Opportunities outside of school time are abound. There's a lot of money going into extended learning opportunities and that that's an opportunity. And professional development opportunities. If you didn't have a chance, um, we did have a poster yesterday with um, one of the students that was a strong contributor. Her name is Emily Sklar, and she was out there. This will be also available to you, but I just wanted you to know that we have that. So what are the limitations of nutrition ed? What is your number one limitation? Just call it out. Lack of research. Does that include people resources? Absolutely. It's like classroom education. What's the lack of that too, right? So we, we all have these things. And so all of our job is to find how can we adjust for those lack of resources. And so I went to chat GPT. How many of you have used it? I'm like, this is really being talked about in the business sector. There's a lot of pros and cons. I'm seeing in the medical world, they're looking at using it for diagnosis. If you haven't played with it, it's a fun tool to go in and play with. So I asked ChatGPT, limitations of nutrition ed in schools, and it said time constraints, lack of specialized training, insufficient resources, limited focus on practical skills, influence of external factors, limited long-term impact, and lack of parental involvement. And I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, they probably looked at all of our research and pulled from it. But we have to remember there's a limitation with J chat GPT and that the information even tells you on the website, this information you need to go out and validate. <laughs> so um, it's just, I was just interested to see using technology that we're all starting to use to speed up and alliterate faster through the world of the internet. Right. So just like we mentioned, you know, we're looking at ways to enhance digital nutrition education measures. And I think maybe some of you also are looking at that. I know we look um, some of the some of the programs that we use is Quizlet, Alchemer, Menti, Kahoot, different ways to maybe add polling or uh, test people in the field to kind of get that digital information back to us. Um, and probably just like everyone else, you know, we all have problems like we heard in another session survey fatigue low response rates but we continue to try these strategies to get information when we can we also have um, been slowly gradually going we you know we do a lot of print resources but we've been moving to um, 
digital resources. So there's pros and cons, right? Well, print resources, we had a really elaborate system. We can really know where those resources are going to, who's ordering them, who's reordering them, how many people they're reaching. But the benefit of going to this digital forward approach, you can see, although we're Dairy Council of California, um, when we put our high school program online, we saw the youth not only go throughout our state, but then throughout the country, and then we start seeing global people picking it up. So there is this access component that you see and this reach that you get when you go more digital forward. Um, we may not be able to track that many, how many people we're exactly reaching, but we have a sense that we're reaching a lot more just through opening this up. The other ways that we look at, you know, as we're going digital forward, we want to say, well, what's working? For example, we have um, done videos which you'll hear more about, but we also, you know, when you're tracking these through different things, you can see how many views did you have, how long did they stay on, and it really looks like people stay on for one to two minutes. So those really short, quick videos with quick information and messaging really do work, right? But you can kind of track where are we, you know, what are our top pages, um, where are our event actions, who's interacting with our pages, you know, are, are they going up? Are they going down over time? And you can kind of see the bar graph. So we feed that digital information into this program called Power BI, and we can get all of this information and look at where should we invest our time and resources, what's really working for people, what isn't. Um, so that's a way to just kind of look at click-throughs and what's happening. Um, and as I was mentioning, you know, we're looking at this balance of going from print through digital. And you can see the majority has been print, but the, recently we are looking at as we're going in and going more digital, you can see it's starting to shift a little bit, right? We're now, where we're all in the 90% for print, now we're at the 78 and almost the 22%. 22% are now accessing through digital. So we see that slow shift as we're moving things digitally, people are getting used to having that. And then we know we still have print, so we know we're not gonna get totally rid of print because some people might really have a barrier to printing resources, so we wanna provide that service. Um, but we do see people are starting to navigate towards using more of our digital tools and resources as well. And then we also try to get information back from people that are using our resources. And some of our direct programs, we do get pre and post surveys from our students that utilize our programs. Um, and we also kind of um, ask our educators questions that are participating in our programs. And all of our resources are 100% free. They're open for the public. They focus on the five food groups. So they're aligned with my plate. Um, and they, we have grade specific resources as well. So just so you can go to our website and look at what we have. They're all available to everyone. So 96% of our educators agreed that students' knowledge of healthy eating improved after the lessons. And we, that's a high number. We asked them some other questions. You can kind of look at the bar graph of when we do get pre and post um, surveys from students. You can see the dark Dark blue is the bar, is the pre, and the light blue is the post. And we are seeing improvements in knowledge and responses to what they're learning. Um, and you can see a quote. We also get quotes from some of our students. So the changes I have made since I participated in the exercise your options lessons are eating more protein and drinking more milk to make sure my bones and body stay healthy throughout the day. Um, we also provide some resources and professional development for health professionals using DCC resources. So we tend to kind of try to get some information from them. Are they using them? Are, there, are they responsive to their patients? Um, so 81% of their pa uh, health professionals agreed that there are resources helped their patients' ability to choose healthier foods. Um, and also 98% agreed in this kind of the my plate, that increasing more fruits, vegetables, dairy, and whole grains as part of a healthy eating pattern. And then one medical doctor that we, you know, probably came to our professional development and was using our resources actually lost 50 pounds themselves. And they really said, this has been so helpful for me in the past 20 months, and I use these with my own patients, and I'm this, you know, shining example. So um, it's kind of a champion out there also doing it themselves and inspiring others. So, you know, what challenges or successes have you seen in measuring your digital education? Um, Let's see. And the questions are broke out because we have to do. Yeah, we can't do open up. Challenges, one question, successes, the second. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, like some of the things, oh, you have a chat GPT, so I'll do that next. So, challenges or successes, yeah, we had to just do one. It's interesting. Lack of tech support. 
Does somebody want to share on that? Because I think that's a really big one for the work that we do as nutrition educators that are not techies usually. Yes. Absolutely. That's sometimes where those partnerships and collaborations come up in play and you're like, hey, partner, can you put this stuff on your website? Um, limited access and equity. So are you guys experiencing still a lot of your um, people that you directly work with still are not able to access the internet regularly or have limitations in some of your communities? I know rural communities tend to struggle with that a lot. And then for successes, the number one was scalability and reach. Who wants to speak to that? Who answered scalability and reach as a success? Oh, there were two. Yes, please. like on their own time and So there's, right, pros and, and cons. Oh, the ahead. second number, um, <laughs> high-level one, was real-time feedback and adaptive learning. Ooh. Anyone want to share on that, how that's helped, been helpful, getting real-time feedback or adapting your learning from doing using digital? giving them those prompts that Shannon talked about earlier and staying and connected to them. Yeah, great. Yeah, I know some people were able to fill like those little communities online and then they get, look forward to joining on Zoom and they tell you, hey, can we learn about this next time so you can be more prepared as an educator? Um, so we also put that question into chat GPT um, to look at what are challenges and successes that came up in measuring digital education. And some of the challenges were lacked, lack of standardized metrics, difficulty in capturing learning outcomes and limited access and equity. So the access and equity came up high. Difficulty in catch, capturing learning outcomes may be like we were saying, if they're not responding to some of our surveys or giving us that feedback, we won't know. Some of the successes were enhanced data collection. So some people had a lot of success with that. Real-time feedback and adaptive learning, scalability and reach and continuous improvement. So um, similar to what you're seeing is kind of what ChatGPT found on the internet. Okay, and I'll turn it back to Shannon. Okay, thank you very much for engaging in the dialogue because that's what makes this session successful is sharing ideas and sharing what you're doing. So one of the things that we recently launched was a looking at digital forward nutrition education is we recently partnered with 
KLCS, our PBS broadcast system in the LA market, and the Los Angeles Unified School District wellness um, coordinator there. And we created a 12 series, broadcast series, that is aired in the LA market. So looking at the first phase is really how do we get the message out there to families and to children throughout the market. And so I'm gonna just share the video real quick that talks about this. Maybe. The links didn't come through. That's all right. So anyways, the link didn't come through. But the broadcast series just aired, and I can share with you what that looks like. I'm going one more. Um, the video series was in collaboration with the wellness coordinator. We also hired a professional chef, um, Chef Monty. She's from Puerto Rico. And she was on the Gordon Ramsay show and winning. She's a single mom who was um, on um, CalFresh at one point in her life with her child. And she really speaks about her struggles. And she's very passionate about inspiring others for healthy eating. And so she was also part of our um, curriculum writing. We also hired outside curriculum writers. But the intent was to inspire, educate, and empower healthy eating patterns, inclusive of my plate. We wanted food discovery through nutrition, agriculture, cooking, culture, and the senses. And so in every episode, she is cooking a very quick and easy recipe with the kids. Food is more than nutrients, talking about nourishment, connection, culture, unique preferences, and also that farm to school journey. So we developed with this diverse group, and then we launched the broadcast. That's phase one. Now we're getting ready to go into phase two, and we're looking for co-creators and collaborators. So if you have any interest, please come up to us. But we're looking at developing educational packages that would take these 10 to 12-minute episodes and turn them into a 20-minute educational um, opportunity that educators, whether they're in the classroom and after school or as part of a um, summer meal program at the library, that they would be able to take and do education with um, children and families. They're geared specifically for third, fourth, and fifth, but we found that they really are engaging across all age levels. Um, and I'm sorry that you didn't get to see Chef Monty because she really is engaging. Um, and she was so eager to work with us, which was great. KLCS coverage is over 16 million people. Um, it's 6% of the population. That's when it was aired, and I'm gonna show the statistics on that, but after that, as long with it, we put it on our YouTube for on-demand learning, and we had over 30,000 um, engagements when we put it online through our YouTube channel. It's, then we looked at what that looked like, and the. Um, this is our YouTube channel, and then over to your right is going back to our Power BI where we pull that data in and have it put into a dashboard for us. We were able to see for the time frame that we were doing a lot of outreach to our educator environment um, that we had a significant increase in viewership, and then we also got to see how much time on um, video they spent and so that's always really good to give you immediate feedback on are you hitting the right mark are you educating where you want to educate because um, when you go digital you also lose some control when you're in front of a classroom doing it direct with the individual as all of our academians know when they went online <laughs> um, evaluation pilot so we took the the video episodes we brought in a um, group to do a pilot evaluation of it. We had all partners. The participants talked about that it was easy and fun, that they really like the videos, but they want lessons to complement it, and that students and teachers love Chef Monty, that she's real engaging and fun, and that it's an opportunity to bri bridge those um, academic um, priorities that they have. So looking at writing, social emotional learning, physical education, and project-based learning. So how are you integrating technology into nutrition ed? There's a question there for you to respond to.
creating tailored interventions, creating interactive learning experience, and encouraging self-paced learning. Um, tailored interventions, oh wait, that changed. Um, interactive learning experience, what does that look like? Who wants to speak on what they're doing to create those interactive learning experiences through digital? Anyone? We have three responses. Did you find gamification increased engagement? The beauty of digital is that we get, we get immediate information that we can use to alliterate. And I can see that that was part of it, creating interactive, but creating tailored interventions and incorporating multimedia resources, which is ongoing challenge, right? Um, Self-paced learning is, is another one, and promoting collaboration and communication. There was one person that put other. What's your other? Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> I love that alliteration of what we do when we go up to Tahoe in California and the weather's bad and you have to tune in to know what the roads that are open or closed. So that's a really, meet them where they're at. That's really, that is great. Okay, what does ChatGPT say about integrating technology into nutrition ed? Identify learning goals, we all know that one. Select appropriate technology tools. I think it's really alliterating and playing with different technology tools. Um, providing access technology. In California, we have, and nationally, there's a lot of efforts to fund broadband um, for more access. Create interactive learning experiences. Um, that is the beauty of gamification. Um, and prompting, um, incorporating multimedia resources, I saw that as one of the responses, encourage self-paced learning, promote collaboration, communication, track progress, and provide feedback. And then that tracking progress, the one thing that we found is that you can't equate paper to digital as if they're apples to apples, because when you're looking at how many papers are going out or what that paper looks like versus digital, you get every bit of information. So you're not, you, you actually have more detailed information. If you try to use the two cross as if they're apples and apples, we found that you actually, you can't. You have to separate the two. Stay up to date with emerging technologies and evaluate and refine, which is what we're always doing. All right. That is all of our content um, in regards to digital and where you're headed. What is some future things that you're looking at or challenges with?
How many of you have a marketing team or a marketing person? I'm seeing somebody nodding. Can you share where you're from and how you identified that as a need? How many of you do the giggy economy thing around marketing and outsource, bring in a consultant? What did you find in the value of that? Bingo. <laughs> So the reason why I'm kind of getting to this is that as you're developing your grants and your plans, I want to encourage you to think about bringing in either using Giga Economy where you're bringing in a consultant or you're using um, an actual in-house. I worked in school districts for 11 years. I worked for the Department of Education for six years. I never had a marketer. I had to be the marketing. And then coming to the Dairy Council, we have a marketing professional. It is a whole different world. They speak a different language. They, they, the Power BI, that's our marketing team behind it because they're looking at the analytics and they help educate us to be better at nutrition education. And it is truly, when we talk about cross-sector collaboration, think about what you're doing for cross-sector within your own organization to help further nutrition education into the communities that you're serving. How about you, Amy? But um, on this screen, that QR code will take you to the Let's Eat Healthy episode series that we did talk about. Um, and I think another thing that we have to be, and it came up in several of those um, different studies and like assessments that we've seen, we really have to continue to look at ways to reach people in an equitable way and culturally, right? We're more and more diverse um, in, uh, in all communities across the United States. And I think really, um, working with our partners at the organizational level and ensuring that we're getting that feedback loop from our community members is really important to make sure that resources are meeting the needs of our community members. And I think with digital, we can be a little bit more adaptable. Once you've already gone through the um, process of building something and printing it and getting it out there, you can't change it. But if it's kind of on your website or something, you can like, oh wait, that's not right. Let me pull it down and adapt it really quick and put it back up. So that gives us a little bit more control of making um, those updates when things come up. But yeah, I think just including in our process, really making sure that you're getting that feedback loop from your end user prior to really scaling something because you want it to be successful. But again, like Shannon mentioned, we are building out some additional resources around this education series, and we would love to partner with any of you that are interested. Um, and you're welcome to use these video series. If you check them out and you work with kids and it works for you, feel free to um, share those out as well. Um, questions for us. Yeah, any questions? And yeah, let us know if you have any How questions. How many of you are using Power BI in any way? What, do, what are you using it for? I love that, to really look at what is resonating out there. Yeah, I would say like, yeah, chat GPT, we shouldn't be scared of it. We should use it as a way to like, um, right, like shorten our time or 
you're still going to need your staff to review it, but right, they can pull up things and then you can do it and you can test those messages. I think it's probably a way to look at ways we can utilize technology um, so that we can stay uh, current and abreast. Our, all of the other like big corporations are going to be using these AI tools, so it's also like thinking about ways that you can help. And I know two things you guys said, like resources, including human resources and time restraints, are things that we all deal with. So using tech and AI may be a way to like at least reduce some of those gaps. Not all of them, but help you in some ways. Yeah, so we thank you so much for joining us during the lunch hour. Questions. Oh, you have more questions. We do have a few more questions on our app. We, we'd appreciate if you'd take them. It's just like five little poll questions that are on the same way. One, how did we do at this session? I, you know, we tend to do dialogue for health sessions at this conference. Um, so we, how can we do better? What would you want to hear from us? And then just some general questions that we ask people. If you're so obliged to take those for us, we would appreciate it just to get your feedback. And we thank you um, for joining us today. So my mom.